Welcome to another vital message from Pastor Ron Hammonds, Senior Pastor of Golden Triangle Church on the Rock in Southeast Texas. We're so glad you're joining us. For more information about Golden Triangle Church on the Rock Ministries, visit our website, cotr.com. Enjoy the Word. Today we're going to be talking about some choices, because the choices we make, that's, that's what life is made from. All right. If you're ready, now we're going to open up our words. We're going to be going to uh, Jeremiah chapter 35 this morning. And again, today we're going to talk about choices. And, uh, uh, you know, yesterday um, I felt like the Lord told me that there was going to be someone. Um, and, and when I looked, and I even said to the Lord yesterday, someone? And then I saw multiple people. So, you know, you are a someone, but I think there are many someones, both here on campus and also there watching through church online. Someone is having trouble obeying the Lord. I know this is a serious thing, but this morning is going to be a little more serious. Someone's having trouble obeying the Lord. Someone's struggling with doing what the Word of God commands. Someone's really struggling with it. I'm talking about someone who, who has a habit of pleasing God, who has a habit and wants to please God, and wants to do what's right, and wants to do what's best, but you're struggling with actually doing what the Word of God commands. And you might be struggling, and it may be as simple as gossip, or it may be as monumental as immorality. Perhaps it's money-related. Or maybe you found yourself in a place of a difficulty, getting over bitterness, uh, anger. Maybe there's unforgiveness in your heart. Maybe you are dealing with worry, hurtful words, betrayal, or just difficult decisions. All choices that we need to make and a choice to do what God says do. You know what the Bible says, but yet... There's someone, or perhaps some of you, but right now let me zero in on you. Perhaps you are in a situation where you are not following that still small voice of the Holy Spirit that you've come to know, you've come to trust in, you've come to rely on. That voice that you know that, that leads you and guides you, it, 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 it seems like a conscious, but yet it's filled with the Word of God. It's the Holy Spirit that encourages us, whether it comes through the lips of someone else or a song or, or, or just a thought or whatever else. You know, we, we, we find the Holy Spirit encouraging us, whether he's encouraging us to forgive or encouraging us to curb our words or encouraging us to get over a moment or through a moment or, 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 or to not do one thing or to make sure we do something else. That, that still small voice of the Holy Spirit we hear in our heart. But yet I'm telling you that the fact is there's another voice that's also speaking to you, trying to discount the Word of God. It's a part of the original sin we see with Eve, how that the devil came to discount the Word of God and to make it seem as though that there was a competitive opportunity out here, that there was an alternative to obeying the Word of God. It's like a battle in your mind uh, that, that, that you try to quiet and you try to push down. I'm here this morning to tell you that you're never going to be truly happy until you obey the Lord. There's something absent. You can feel it, you can feel it waning in your life. You can feel it as though that, 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 that joy and that happiness is, 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 is not like it was. There's something you need to do. 
you see disobedience to God reveals both a lack of trust and a lack of integrity. A lack of trust in God and a lack of integrity in our own commitment to obey God and to follow Him. If anyone else, by the way, has ever made that difficult decision in a moment where you may find yourself and you may find that there are some alternatives or there are some competitive desires, maybe there's something calling to you, speaking to you, maybe, maybe it's, it's, it's you know, uh, uh, something that's trying to pull you down into a hole, but if anyone else has ever made the tough choice to obey God, then you can do it too. You can do this. Life is a long game, and you are an important player to God. What you do makes a difference. God is watching, and so are others. And what you do makes a difference. A commitment to obey is a simple sign of trust. That we trust you, God, beyond what we can calculate. We trust you, God, beyond what, what we have experienced or beyond what we fear. Beyond, Lord, even what we want. We trust you. And we trust, Lord, that you can make something out of this. That if we go with you, you're going to take care of things. I remember that old hymn that I learned to sing when I was a, uh, just a young boy sitting on the back seat of the First Baptist Church in Sims, Texas. That church looked so big, but, you know, uh, it, 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 I've gone back so many times. Uh, I can't can't imagine uh, how big I, I, I thought that it was. It seemed huge. I remember singing a song and learning a song. You may remember this song, Trust and Obey. You remember that? Trust and Obey. <laughs> yeah, you know, a commitment to obey is a simple sign of trust. Trust and obey. You remember that, Brother Vaughn? Yeah. I like that fourth verse. It says, you know, uh, then in fellowship sweet, we will sit at his feet or we'll walk by his side in the way. What he says we will do, where he sends we will go. Never fear, only trust and obey. Y'all remember that? Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Boy. This morning, it's my hope that you will be encouraged to choose to obey God. Now, you might say, Pastor, I'm sitting in a place where I am obeying God, you know, and everything's okay, you know, and everything. All right, then this, by the way, you know, uh, uh, is your opportunity to intercede for that person that God wants to reach this morning. This is your opportunity to say amen to the things I'm going to say so that people around you can see that, that there is community support, that there's church support, that there's family support for a difficult decision that they may be wrestling with, that they may be struggling with. We want them to win the struggle. And just because the Word of God may not be hitting you exactly where you think, believe me, it is making an impact in your life so that you can carry this Word to someone else that you're going to meet this week so you can support others who are in their place of struggle that they've always done what they believed God wanted them to do but they find themselves today in a struggle now we're going to launch our study of the word by reading a very unfamiliar passage in the Bible most likely you know I would imagine 90 percent of the pastors in the world could not tell you what's in this particular chapter and the way God is going to unfold it for us today. So let's open up our hearts and open up the Word of God to the book of Jeremiah chapter 35. 
Jeremiah was a prophet that lived in Jerusalem around 600 B.C. He prophesied during a very difficult time in Jerusalem's history and in Judah's history. These... uh, This nation of Israel was divided into two, the northern ten tribes called Israel and the southern tribes, two tribes, Judah, called Judah. And there uh, the king of of Judah lived in Jerusalem, and his name was Jehoiachin. And he uh, he had rebelled, not only against God, but also against the kings of Egypt and the kings of, of, of Babylon. And it was a very difficult time, and and Jerusalem was about to be overrun one more time. And Jeremiah is sent to deliver a very difficult word. We find that God was not happy with Israel. And even the king of Israel had heard that Jeremiah had written a prophecy, so he asked for the book. And when the book was brought to him, he read it. He didn't like what he said. He he, he didn't like what Jeremiah said. He didn't like what God said. So he tore the book in little pieces and threw it in a fire. You know, you can tear the Word of God up and throw it away. You can burn it up. You You can discard it. But it's not going to change. Jeremiah 35. Let's begin with this unfamiliar passage, by the way. Are you ready? Verse 1. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, saying, Go to the house of the Rechabites, speak to them, and bring them into the house of the Lord, into one of the chambers, and give them wine to drink. Now I'm going to need you to, to stick close to me here because we're going to make some jumps here in a moment. And, uh, uh, you know, to fill in some gaps. But suffice it to say that this word has come to Jeremiah. Go get the Rechabites in this very difficult day. Bring them into the house of the Lord and give them some wine to drink. Verse 4, and I brought them into the house of the Lord. I would encourage you to read this whole chapter. Verse 5, then I set before the sons of the house of the Rechabites bowls full of wine and cups, and I said to them, drink wine. Now, since only a few people are probably familiar with the Rechabites and who they were, allow me to fill in the gaps here with just a brief walk through a little Bible history. Okay, This is where I need you to stick close. Uh, Some of you, when we start doing history or start doing numbers, you know, you kind of check out. Uh, I'll pick you back up at the end if you happen to check out on me, all right? But for for, for those of you that that are putting pieces together, like like when, when you hear a message, you like to put the pieces of the puzzle together, and the puzzle has to make sense. Uh, You know, follow me here in this one. Um, Although the Rechabites lived in Judah and... They are named in, in the lineage of Judah. As you're going through Chronicles, you can read about it. And it's giving the lineage of Judah. And boom, all of a sudden, it gives the, 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 the Rechabites. And then it goes on. They were accepted. They lived among the, the Israelites in Judah. But yet they were not Israelites. They were not Jews. Let's go back to the time of Abraham. About 2,000 years B.C., 
Now remember, Jeremiah was 600 years B.C. So 1,400 years before Jeremiah, back to Abraham. In Genesis 25, you can read about this, Genesis 25, 1 through 4. When Abraham was a little over 140 years old, he married a woman named Keturah. Sarah was dead. Isaac and Rebekah were married. And Abraham thought his life was basically over. And then he married a woman named Keturah. And he and Keturah had several children. There were a lot more sons of Abraham that many people aren't necessarily real familiar with. But one of their children, one of their sons, was named Midian. Hey, remember that, Midian, who later in time became the father of the Midianites, which you read in Bible. Well, you know, they are descendants of Abraham and Keturah. And the Midianites lived along the eastern bank uh, on the east side of the Jordan River, right across from Jericho, just north of the Dead Sea, right there where the, land, the, the, the country of Jordan is today. And so, uh, you know, these are the Midianites. You got that? Now, they had a son named Midian. We're going to go 500 years closer to us, to about 1500 B.C., Moses is in Egypt. He's 40 years old. He kills one of the Egyptian guards, and he has to run away. Where does he run? He runs up to Midian. He's hiding from Pharaoh in Midian. You can read about this in, in, in Exodus, the second chapter, verse 21. And there while he's in Midian, he meets a woman named Zipporah, who is the daughter of the priest of Midian. Jethro. And Moses marries Zipporah. So here, you know, Moses, a descendant of Abraham through Isaac and Jacob, you know, he meets a woman, a descendant of Abraham through Midian, and they get married. Are you with me? There's the connection. Well, in Numbers, the 10th chapter, we're told that Zipporah the wife of Moses, had a brother. Are you following me so far? The brother's name was Hobab. Who would name their kid Hobab? I don't know, but he, uh, Jethro named him Hobab, okay? The Bible calls him Hobab the Kenite. Why? Because a certain group, a family of the Midianites were the Kenites. And so here Hobab, you know, he had a brother-in-law named Moses, who when Moses was 80 went down and led the children of Israel out of Egypt and into the wilderness and Moses asked his brother-in-law Hobab come and show us where water is in the wilderness come and be our eyes in the wilderness and show us where to pitch our tents and how to survive in the wilderness and Hobab says oh I'll help you a little bit and go back home and Moses said no Hobab listen brother-in-law I need your help now you stay here and you help me Hobab and Hobab if you help me bring these children of Israel into the promised land then I'm going to tell you what whatever God blesses them with God will bless you with you will get the same blessings they get and inherit the same land that they inherit even though you're not an Israelite even though you're a Kenite from Midian you'll get what they get and so Hobab says great I'll do it so Hobab we find him guiding the children of Israel during those 40 years in the wilderness 
and also his descendants went into the land of Israel. How do we know they went into the land of Israel? Well, let's keep going here. Another hundred years, about 1400 B.C., Judges, the first chapter. The descendants of Hobab called the Kenites. They settled in tents in the wilderness of Judea, in the Judean desert. Now, the Judean desert is basically east of Jerusalem before you get down to the Dead Sea and east of Bethlehem. They lived east of Jerusalem and Bethlehem there in those, in, in, in those desertous mountains, okay? And they lived in tents, and they never planted gardens, they never planted vineyards, and they never built houses, okay? Now, uh, uh, the, these Kenites uh, lived in peace and in support of Israel. Judges, the fourth chapter, tells us that Around 1300 B.C., there's a man named Heber who was a Kenite. He was a descendant of Hobab, a descendant of Midian, a descendant of Abraham. And here it is, 700 years already from Abraham, and here Heber, the Kenite, married a woman named Jael. Y'all remember Jael in Judges 4? Whenever they were having war between the Canaanites and the Israelites, the Bible says that Heber had an alliance with both of them. He separated himself from the Kenites that lived in Judah, and he moved northward about 60 miles, and he lived in the valley of Jezreel near Mount Tabor. And if you read in Judges, the fourth chapter, you will find that Jael, whenever uh, the, 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 the captain of the army, the commander of the Canaanite army, came into her tent, she gave him some warm milk, he went to sleep, and she took a tent peg and drove it through his head. And there it was a Kenite. It was, uh, you know, the wife of Heber, you know, a descendant of Midian that won the battle for the Israelites against the Canaanites. Amazing, huh? You can read that in Judges 4. Well, they stayed in the land there, the Kenites, who were Midianites, who were the descendants of Hobab, and Heber, they stayed in the land there. How do we know? Because along about 1100 B.C., King Saul is crowned king. And King Saul, one of his first duties was to go and kill the Amalekites. Go and fight the Amalekites. And so King Saul goes to fight the Amalekites. But who does he see in the land where the Amalekites are living? He sees some Kenites that are dwelling there. And so you can read about it. It's right there in 1 Samuel, the 15th chapter. Here, you know, uh, uh, King Saul sends a message to the Kenites. He said, get, a, get out of the way. Get away from the Midianites. Uh, excuse me, get, get away from the Amalekites. If you'll get away from the Amalekites, I won't harm you because you showed favor and kindness to the children of Israel when they were coming out of Egypt. And because the blessing of God is on you, I cannot attack you because you are like us and you came here with us. And so get out of the way. And so the Bible says the Kenites, they got out of the way. They, they, they left the land of the Amalekites and left the villages where the Amalekites were living. And King Saul went in there. Oh, read 1 Samuel 15. It's great. King Saul went in there and he got him. 
Well, then let's keep going. Let me follow this lineage for us. Close to 900 B.C., 2 Kings chapter 10, the prophet Elijah was told by God to anoint a man named Jehu because God wanted Jehu to go and deal with the sins of Israel by killing the house of Ahab and Jezebel and then to tear down the altars of Baal and to to destroy the priest of Baal. Jehu said yes to God. Elijah anointed him. And who did Jehu partner with? Jehu partnered with a man named Jonadab. You can read it in 2 Kings 10 again. Jonadab, guess who Jonadab was? Well, Jonadab was a Kenite who was a Midianite. The Midianites, one of the families was the Kenites, and then one of the Kenite families was the Rechabites. Do you all remember that's where this started? Who are these Rechabites that's been invited into the house of God to drink wine? Jonadab helps Jehu to destroy Baal worship in Israel. And God is very, very happy. Here again, these, these, these you know, Midianites, these Kenites, these, this, this Rechabite has come to the rescue of Israel. Um, you know, Jonadab was a very important figure. His dad's name was Rechab. And that's where the Rechabites came from. Jonadab was a very important figure. In fact, Jonadab left instructions and commandments for his children. And his children respected him so much that they kept his commandments. Fast forward another 300 years from Jonadab all the way up to Jeremiah. Here we are back where we started at Jeremiah 35. Okay? It's about 600 B.C. We've taken a look at Abraham, whose son was Midian. We've taken a look also at Midian, having, you know, descendants, the Kenites. And the Kenites turning into the Rechabites, one group of them, and Jonadab, a leader of the Rechabites, you know, leaves instructions and commandments for his children. 300 years later, 300 years later, the Rechabites are living near Bethlehem. They're living, many of them, in a town or in a community called Jabez. Well, Jeremiah is told by God in this very difficult time, a time of pressure, a time when people are not obeying the Lord. He's told, go to the Rechabites and invite them into the house of the Lord and give them some wine to drink. And so uh, Jeremiah, this prophet of God, a well-known prophet of God, a revered prophet of God, he goes to the Rechabites and invites them to the house of the Lord, and they come into the house of the Lord, and he sets down some wine in cups and bowls, and he says, drink the wine. are Are you ready? 
Jeremiah, back to where we were in 35. Verse 5, we'll read it again. Then I set before the sons of the house of the Rechabites bowls full of wine and cups, and I said to them, drink wine. But they said, we will drink no wine. For Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our father, commanded us, saying, You shall drink no wine, you nor your sons forever. Now, before we get too far into this, let me tell you, this is not about drinking wine. Okay? God's got a point to make here. God's going a long way to make his point here. And I'm going a long way to make the point that God wants to make this morning. Jonadab commanded us 300 years ago. Just a man, Jonadab. Not even an Israelite, Jonadab. Don't drink any wine, you nor your sons, forever. Verse 7. You shall not build a house, sow seed, plant a vineyard, nor have any of these, but all your days you shall dwell in tents, that you may live many days in the land where you are sojourners. Verse 8, so we have obeyed the voice of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our father. In all that he charged us to drink no wine all our days, we, our wives, our sons, our daughters, nor to build ourselves houses to dwell in, nor do we have vineyards field or seed but we have dwelt in tents and have obeyed and done according to all that Jonadab our father commanded us my goodness these men were descendants you know of Abraham and if anyone knew the value of a covenant, they did. These people are covenant people. You know, it had been 300 years since their father told them, don't do these things. And guess what? They weren't doing it. They weren't doing it even when invited by God into the house of God by the prophet of God and asked to drink wine. God's making a point here. God's making a big point. He's making a big point in Jerusalem that day. He's making a big point today for us. That's really impressive, by the way. It impressed not only me, but it, 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 it should impress everybody. It certainly impressed God that here they are 300 years after their father has said, don't do this, and they're not doing it. Verse 13. Listen to the point that God wants to make. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, go and tell the men of Judah, and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, will you not receive instructions to obey my word, says the Lord? Verse 16, surely the sons of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, have performed the commandments of their father, which he commanded them, but this people has not obeyed me. Verse 19, therefore thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Jonadab the son of Rechab shall not lack a man to stand before me forever. Now, listen, I'm going to submit to you the point of God. 
that God was making this point that if these mere men who are not even Israelites, but if they have heard their father 300 years ago, even farther back than that, not to drink wine, not to build houses, not to live in, you know, not, not, not to plant vineyards, not to, you know, sow seed, uh, but to live in tents. If they, if, if somebody is doing something because somebody else told them to do it, if somebody can make a commitment to do the good advice of somebody else, and that was advice only so that you won't be a threat to the people and you can and live in the land longer and you won't be a threat to them in fact I'm going to tell you I can take you today and show you those same people they are still living in tents they don't plant vineyards they are still living in that land they you know that they, they I mean go with me to Israel I'll take you down into the road into Judean desert and I'll show you those same people today living that same simple life that have gotten the results of what Jonadab said they would get they've gotten to live in the land they're no threat to anybody they They've gotten to live in the land wherein they were a stranger. Why? Because they did what somebody's good advice was. And it was just good advice. Don't drink wine because if you do, you're going to do crazy and silly things. Don't start building cities or you'll become a competition to those whom... You know, those who own the land. You know, I'm on and on and on. It's not even that I agree with that philosophy. You know, don't plant vineyards and, and then don't plant, you know, fields. You're going to have something to argue over and to fuss about and something for somebody to come and attack you over. Listen, you want to live in peace? This is what Jonadab said. Listen, stay off the radar. That's what Jonadab said. Now, that was good advice from a good man to his sons, and they obeyed him. It wasn't even the word of God. And God is looking down from heaven, and God is noticing that here these people are doing exactly what their father told them to do, and it was just good advice. And yet I can't get my kids to do what I want them to do, and I'm in the miracle-working business. I am Almighty God, creator of the universe. There's never been a father like me. I'm a caretaker, a miracle worker. I'm a healer. I'm a provider. I am Almighty God, and I can't even get my kids to obey me. And yet look down there at those kids. They're just keeping the good opinion of somebody that just said, don't do this, stay off the radar. What's going on here? And God said, you can read the rest of it, but these people, because they are doing it, because they made a commitment and they passed that word on to the next generation and they made a commitment and the next generation made a commitment and the next generation, all to just an opinion, all to just some good advice. But because they can do it, I know you could too if you wanted to. I know that you could keep the word of your heavenly father. I know, God says, you could obey me too. Why aren't you doing it? And God said, therefore, because of them, and I'm showing you this, that's why God said, I'm not happy with you. 
because you're not obeying me. As much as you obey the good advice of somebody else who just gave you their personal opinion of how to be safe, how to be, you know, blessed, how to be, I mean, you know, you'll, you'll take the advice of your financial advisor more than God. You'll take the advice of somebody on a stock tip more than you will on Almighty God saying tithe. Oh, that was a low blow, wasn't it? That was right down there, and that wasn't in my notes. That was a good one, though. Zinger! You'll go to some, you know, mental health expert and do what he says instead of forgiving. You'll follow the, so, follow the social dictates and, and mores of a society without God instead of just going to my word and believing it and doing it. Listen, I know that there's someone here today listening, someone that's been struggling with obeying God, somebody that's been struggling with doing what the word of God says. In fact, that voice is telling you nobody's doing it. Nobody can. No, that's not the truth. That's what God was showing. People can do it and people are doing it. When, when Elijah himself said, God, I'm the only one, you know, God said, no, you're not. I have 7,000 that haven't bowed their knee to Baal. Listen, there are a lot of people obeying God. There are a lot of people in hard places doing what God said doing. There are a lot of people. There are people all around us that are forgiving. There are people all around us that are not bound up with gossip. They've stopped it. They've quit it because God said quit it. They're not in some sexual immoral sin because God said don't. So they are not doing it. They are not, you know, uh, hoarding or greedy with their money and resources. They're giving and they're benevolent because God said do it. It doesn't make it easy but it makes it right there are people who are forgiving that have gone through difficult things just like you don't think it can't be done that's the voice of the devil that tells you you can't do what God said do there are people that, that have refused to worry and refused to be angered. They've said no to the hurtful words. They, 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 they have crawled out of betrayal and they crawled out of loss and tragedy. And they, they are in the place of making difficult decisions based upon what God said instead of what I want or my best friend says or the opinion of some spiritual guru. When you'll take the advice of your best friend quicker than you'll take the advice of King Solomon, you're on the wrong road. Somebody here who's listening has been struggling. And the point that God is making in Jeremiah is simply the fact that you know what the Bible says. So why don't you just do it? Love. Give. Forgive. You know, speak that which is good. Close your ears off to all those who would sour you about others. Speak that which is good. If you aren't doing what God said to, disobedience to God reveals a lack of trust and a lack of integrity. And it's it's not hard to obey God. If anyone can, you can. That's the point God was making. Okay? You know, and listen to me. If your obedience to God, if, if you obeying God affects 
or involves someone else, believe me, God is speaking to them too. He's speaking to them too. He's dealing with them about it too. And you saying yes to God might be the very thing that pulls them out. God is speaking to them too. Simply trust and obey. This morning our challenge is to trust God with the choices that we make. Because the choices we make build our lives. Are you going to obey God's word? Why not just obey him? Just just say, okay, God, yes. You know, he'll guide you, he'll lead you, he'll, he'll take every step with you. If you're struggling, whatever you're struggling with, say yes to him and let him take care of everyone else. They have a choice too. Okay, well, I got halfway into the message today. Next Sunday, part two of choices we not only will show through the word of God how to make choices but also show you where you can get the power to make that choice okay God bless you not every choice is easy but a choice to obey God is the right the most fruitful and the most lasting choice you can make. Thanks again for joining us for another relevant word from Pastor Ron Hammonds. Visit cotr.com and subscribe to our social media platforms to stay up to date. As well, receive more encouraging messages from our pastor and details of the work we're doing both in our community and communities like ours around the world. Today and every day, God bless.